and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. It's episode 170, and today the interview is with Trevor Shirk. A active captain in the US military as a ranger and an engineer, and someone who we're gonna be spending some time with at our upcoming mastermind retreat in October in Fort Bragg, thanks to the folks over at American Dream University. Before we get to the links today, I just wanna to talk to you about followup.cc. Followup.cc is and has been my number one productivity tool recommendation almost since I've started less doing. Uh, and it is that essential to what I do. Followup.cc allows you to send reminders to yourself in the form of your regular emails. No matter what device you're on or what system you're using, you can forward an email to 3 p.m. at followup.cc or four days at followup.cc or Monday 9 p.m. at followup.cc. Any time period you can think of, at followup.cc, you can forward it to that. You can also BCC it, so if you're writing to somebody else, you can have that in there as a reminder. At that time, that email will come back to you, and it will now include a snooze functionality. So if you were wrong about that timing, then you can snooze it, and hopefully, now that you're closer to that time, you'll have a better chance of actually getting it to come to you at a time when you can effectively deal with it. So I highly recommend it. I implore you to use followup.cc if you want to be more productive. And if you use the code less doing then you'll get 50% off any of their plans for the next year. So now on to the links. So the first one I want to mention is uh, there's an Indiegogo campaign and it's called Instamike. And this is fascinating to me because as you've seen the proliferation of video and sound things, they're, they're all interesting in their own ways, but what this wants to be, Instamike wants to be the GoPro of microphones, which I think is pretty catchy. It's tiny. I mean, it's like the size of your thumb, basically. And essentially what they're saying is it's the smartest, smallest, and most affordable microphone and audio recorder that's easy to operate. So that's wonderful because there's so many people now who want to do a podcast, and this goes way beyond podcasting, but so many people who want to do podcasting, and some of them say that, you know, I just have these interesting conversations with people, and I want to record that, and I don't have a good way to do it. So the iPhone is one option, but this is a dedicated small device that will allow you to record the things going on in your world. And I think this is great. It's it it's basically wants to make it so that you don't miss out on things, or or rather, so that you can share some of the interesting things that happen with you. It's pro quality audio. It's hands free recording, so you can of course use it for conversations. You can use it for recording music, recording your dog if you want. It doesn't matter. It's just a really nice little package device, and I I think it's great. Um, so the next thing, uh, there's an article over at the Muse, and I couldn't gloss over an article with the greatest title like this or a title this great which is the secret to success isn't doing more it's doing less so how could i not like that uh, and they gave a bunch of tips in here but one of the things that i liked was that they said you should practice like an elite musician now this is not the ten thousand hour rule which has sort of been debunked but what they say is that 
it says like elite violinists may not be bound by the same 40 hour work week, but the same principle applies. Basically, what they found was that high performers don't practice more than mediocre musicians, but instead they simply focus their practice times to two daily 90 minute sessions, take breaks in between. And then they got more sleep, basically. But it's an interesting idea. And I've talked about peak time before, how there's that 90-minute session or 90-minute period throughout the day where you are more effective than the others. And this is saying that basically these high performers are not doing tons and tons of work. They're doing less, but they're doing it in a really focused and specific time. And you can certainly apply that to your work. Because if you break things up into chunks, even if they're 90-minute chunks, and you give yourself structured breaks, you are going to be able to get more done. It's just that simple. Uh, the next one is, this is specific to if you have a website, but it's just a nice resource. It's called Cover with two R's. And basically what it gives you is a background video for your homepage. So if you've ever seen a really cool website of somebody and there's a, a video playing basically instead of a static image, this gives you free versions of that. And it really can make a bigger impact on the brand, the image, the professional level that you, or the professional image that you are trying to portray. And it'll make your website a lot catchier if you do have that video background. This is a great resource called Cover. Uh, there is a, a, a Chungwasoft, Chungwasoft came out with something called Send Later. And we mentioned followup.cc in this in this uh, podcast already, but this is a different side of it. This is the thing about sending delayed the sending, basically. So there's a real benefit to delaying the sending of emails. Uh, one of which is that your peak time may be late at night. Maybe your peak time is 11 o'clock at night, which is not the craziest thing. But you don't want people necessarily seeing that you're dealing with emails at 11 at night. It's not even so much that you don't want them to see that. You don't want them to respond. That's more important. Uh, even if your peak time is in the middle of the workday, it doesn't matter. There's a boomerang effect to email. So the more emails you send, the more email you'll get. And if you are able to delay the sending, but still get it done, so you write the email, then you delay the sending until later on, then you don't have to worry that it's gonna come right back to you or it's gonna come to you at a time that you don't wanna see it. So uh, send later is a download for, that allows you to do that and you can send things later, so. Uh, the next one, there's an article over at The Muse called 11 Habits You Should De Definitely Steal from Ultra Productive People. And I'm not going to read all of these to you, of course, but there's two that I think are really apt. One of which is it says they never touch things twice. So it says productive people never put anything in a holding pattern because touching things twice is a huge time waster. Don't save an email or phone call to deal with it later. As soon as something gets your attention, you should act on it, delegate it, or delete it, which is pretty much exactly the strategy that I tell people for dealing with emails, the three Ds. And then the other one is that they eat frogs. And I love this because it says eating a frog is the best antidote for procrastination and ultra productive people start each morning with this tasty treat. In other words, they do the least appetizing, most dreaded item on their to-do list before they do anything else. After that, they're freed up to tackle the stuff that excites and inspires them. And I think that that's a really good thing. Um, I end up dealing with a little bit of paperwork and bills and sort of admin work. Even if I could outsource it, I do it myself for the first 15 or 20 minutes of the morning just to get it out of the way and then I'm onto the, onto the races basically. Uh, and then there's an article in, <laughs> this is actually kind of funny, and this is maybe specific, but I think it's probably a good thing to, uh, to be aware of. But it says, uh, how to turn your commute into a time of productivity. Now, I've written my own articles on this, and this is actually, it's a really cool infographic. But one of the things they said was 10,000 
634 hours is the average time workers spend on a lifetime of commuting. And that is a lot of time. You know, originally, a lot of the ways that the eight-hour work week was devised was simply by dividing the day into three parts, which was eight hours for work, eight hours for play, and eight hours for sleep. So now if you're talking about 10,000 hours of your life being spent commuting, you've got to figure out how to, how to do that. So one of the most obvious ones it, they give is to switch to public transportation because it means that you know, your hands are not on the wheel, basically, and you can focus on getting other stuff done, even if it's listening to a podcast, but hopefully you can read or you can write something or whatever it might be. So if you're having someone else drive for you, whether that means you have a private driver or you're simply taking public transportation, that is certainly going to be a way that you can be more productive in your commute. Uh, another example that they give is about clearing your inbox. So not surprisingly, said employees in large companies spend 14% of their time on emails. Clear your inbox before you're in the office and get a fresh start on the day. Delete anything that doesn't require action or archiving and respond to or mark up any critical emails. This builds on some of the things we've already mentioned in this episode. Listening to a podcast is a wonderful way to make your commute more productive. And I do recommend that you listen to things at one and a half or even two times speed if you can get used to it so that you can hack a lot more information in. And in addition, I've mentioned a service before called Narrow, which allows you to send an article that you want to read to your podcast feed, and then you'll get it as a spoken word podcast. I do this a lot when someone sends me an article that's really long and it definitely makes my commute more productive. So that's all the links that we have for today. Go ahead and enjoy the interview with Trevor Shirk, and we'll see you on the next episode where we're going to have Timo uh, Ahapelto. I always have trouble with his name. Ahapelto. Ah, ah, sorry. Timo from The Human Charger, which is the device that helps you overcome jet lag. That is coming up next time on the West Doing Podcast. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I have uh, the absolute pleasure and honor, uh, for the first time ever, having a commissioned officer of the U.S. Army here on the Less Doing podcast. I'm speaking with Trevor Shirk, who is a captain in the U.S. Army. So Trevor, thank you so much. Hey, it's my pleasure, Ari. Uh, so first of all, um, so how long have you been in the Army? I've been in the Army a little over seven years now. Originally, when you decided to, to join up, what led to that decision? 
Uh, I think I think like a lot of a lot of people that are you know 29 years old. You know, I was in 10th grade in study hall whenever uh, 9/11 happened, and I got to kind of witness that. And I grew up in an area about 20 minutes from where Flight 93 crashed. And I think at that moment in 10th grade, I knew I would serve in some capacity. And uh, so when I was looking at colleges, I really, I really didn't have any money to go to college. So uh, I started to explore like ROTC and then ended up uh, getting into West Point. So I ended up attending, uh, going to West Point. Yeah. Well, and congratulations on that. That's no, no uh, easy feat. And, and I should have said this very first off, but thank you, of course, for your service. Oh, no. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so how many, have you, how many tours have you done? I've just done one uh, year-long deployment to Afghanistan. And, uh, and when was that? Uh, 2010 to 2011. Wow. And um, how, I mean, I, I feel stupid even asking this question, but sort of like, how would you describe the experience? Like, was it, was, you know, eye-opening or was it growing or what, what would you call it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, growth is a definitely a great word. I was a platoon leader for a combat engineer platoon, and we did route clearance, which our mission was to find the IEDs on the road and either dig them up or just locate them and destroy them before other units would come behind us. And uh, I'll have to say it was like one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life because everything we did mattered and directly impacted someone else's life. I mean, if we found that bomb that was buried and we destroyed it, you know, it didn't blow up on somebody else. And then, uh, you know, as a 25, 26 year old, you know, leading troops in combat, I think, you know, that's, that's an experience where you grow up extremely fast. And, uh, you know, I have some of the highest points in my life from that deployment. I also have like some of the absolute lowest, you know, worst days of my life. So it's definitely, you know, an experience that I guess I'll never, uh, I don't know how you would say, I guess never forget or never, uh, I would say it's just, I grew a, a tremendous amount. I mean, I grew up, I would say I really grew up as a person from that. Yeah, man, man, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And what's your specialty? I'm a engineer officer. So, and, and you're also, you're a Green Beret. No, no. Oh, I you're not, not, no, I'm sorry. No, I thought you were a Ranger. A, yes, yes. I'm a Ranger qualified engineer officer. So that's okay, why sorry, I got I, to compete in Best Ranger. Yeah, so, okay, so sorry for that mix up. And uh, so, <laughs> um, what, what was Ranger training like for you? Because, I mean, we, we got through, and we're going to talk about American Dream University a little bit more, but we okay. got just a, like a half of a quarter of a percent of an idea of what your training is like. But what, did, did you find it exceptionally hard or, you know, what, what, how, did, how did the training sort of impact you? Are you, so do you mean ranger school or ranger school? Yeah. Okay. Ranger school. Yeah. So ranger school is, man, it's one of those, it's a two month long school. It's uh, extremely physically demanding, but I would say like more than anything, it's just tough. It's like a nonstop toughness and it's gritty and uh, you know, you're sleep deprived. They had to take away a lot of the food. You don't eat enough, but you're still required to perform. I mean, it's definitely an experience like with the soldiers that I have that fall under me, I always encourage them to go because you learn so much about being a leader and leading small units under the worst of conditions. Because when everybody's tired, sleepy and hungry and it's two o'clock at night and you're walking through the mountains in North Georgia 
and uh, half the guys are droning and walking off and talking to trees. You know, it's <laughs> it's like a it's one of the hardest challenges to like really. And these are your peers, and now you're assigned to lead them to go do this mission, you know. And nobody's performing optimally, and uh, to overcome that, it's it's definitely a challenge. So, um, yeah, it's it was definitely you know some of the toughest two months I've ever done, but uh it's a great experience. I mean, it, it really is like you, I think it, uh, it's something that almost every officer should be going through because it just, you know, really drives home that leadership. Yeah, of course. And, uh, now what about, tell us, t- because a lot of people are probably not familiar with the, the, with the best Ranger competition. So what, what's that all about? Okay. So once a year, the army does the best Ranger competition. So anybody that's been through Ranger school, and is ranger qualified can compete. And what happens is all the bases and all the units across the army put forth, you know, their best two man team. And usually each installation or each base will say they'll have their own tryouts and their own train up and they'll pick the best uh, teams to go represent their base in the competition. And the competition itself is a two and a half day or 60 hour pretty much nonstop event. Like you get a couple breaks in the in-between events where you get to sleep for a couple minutes. It's just a nonstop event for two and a half days. There's a lot of foot marching with a heavy pack. There's a, a lot of shooting, a lot of uh, technical uh, soldier skills. Um, like we did rappelling, climbing. Uh, you do some water skills where you, you know, come out of a helicopter into the water, what we call helo casting. Uh, you, you're ready to jump out like parachute and see if you can land on a spot. Uh, usually that's like a weather call, whether you'll actually do it. Um, so yeah, I was fortunate enough from my base to get to try out and get selected for the train up and then complete the train up. And we ended up getting a slot into the competition because, you know, all kinds of teams submit to get into the competition, but they only let 50, 52 teams in. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and how did your team do? So we ended up out of 52 teams, 24 teams finished, and we finished 14th. Okay. And, and just to, for clarity for people, I mean, I, I feel like this is one of those competitions where the difference between 14th and first is probably not a lot. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's, uh, it's definitely when you're dealing with uh, you know, the one percenters across the army, and then you put them all together, you know, like the difference is, you know, it doesn't take much to to decide who wins and, and doesn't. And, uh, I think this year, like the winners were really close, you know, like they were, they were down to like, you know, a couple minutes on 18 mile movements and, you know, who shot better on one or two targets. So yeah, it's definitely very close. Now, just sort of in a general way, what do you, what, what sort of differentiates the Rangers from the other elite uh, military groups, you know, like the SEALs or like Delta Force or things like that? Because you know, I, I think people sort of have an idea from movies of like the special teams, but what are the Rangers sort of known for? Okay. So uh, having never been in a, you know, Ranger battalion uh, as an officer, like uh, I can't speak to, you know, their exact mission set, but the Rangers are known as like a very, uh, very elite disciplined unit that is capable of providing the uh, manpower that's needed. So I guess if you had like a bunch of small elite operators that would go out and, you know, conduct a target or conduct a mission, the Rangers would be able to do that as well, but also 
you know, they provide more manpower. They can bring more people to do a bigger mission. So I know if you, if you look online, like some of their specialties are like uh, conducting raids and airfield seizures, which is kind of what they're known for. So now gotcha. like SEALs, uh, some of the other units, I mean, they, they have their own unique specialties that, you know, if you just look up online, you can kind of see what they do. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, and all right. So now, as far as uh, your sort of new project, the lean transformation, how did that come about? Yeah. So I, whenever I was training up, I had just moved to this installation and in the process of moving, you know, I had stopped running and I had kept lifting weights. I was doing like a five by five strength circuit of the major lifts and I ended up, you know, getting stronger, but I was, I was significantly heavier. I think I was at like 194 pounds. And I knew that my optimal running was, you know, 180, 182. Um, and so when the tryout came up, I knew that I would have to shed some weight to kind of compete on the running aspect of the tryout. So looking around, like I got kind of fed up with everybody that uh, was like, I tried, you know, whatever program off the TV or whatever diet, or I tried this, you know, and it never worked out. Or they just kept saying that, Oh, I just couldn't do 55 minutes a day starting Monday for five days a week forever. And I, I kind of got frustrated with the whole, you know, because I've had experiences like that as well, where I tried to, on Monday, I'm going to start this diet. And then by Thursday, you know, it's all gone and I haven't really made any progress. I made it for a day or two and then it just kind of fell apart. So I thought to myself, uh, like, what could I do that would really help somebody and help myself implement change rapidly without causing like a forever because i think that's discouraging when hey you're going to give up bread you know if you switch to paleo on monday you know you're not going to eat bread really ever again and it's like well that's kind of extreme and a lot of people i think run away from that level of it's all or nothing black or white so i looked around at like lean manufacturing agile theory with software development to include like scrum frameworks or scrum framework and uh I just put together a two-week sprint framework for basically getting things changed in my life. So my goal for that two weeks was just to shed 10 pounds so that I would, you know, be more suited for running so I could run some more and also to get back to that lean weight. I knew I'd kind of bulked up and I hadn't been eating really clean at all. So from that, I just figured out, you know, six to seven things I could do every day that would support achieving that goal. and. uh I just said, hey, for the next two weeks, I'm going to commit to doing it. And it's not forever. It's not the end of the world. It's just two weeks. And uh, so I did it. I executed the sprint and did those tasks. And a lot of them I didn't even successfully complete. But at the end, I was seven pounds lighter. And the day after the sprint was over, I still woke up and did the same task that there were three of them that they had just become habit and just became a part of my routine, a part of my day. And then I thought about, wow you know, that's a short period of time where I just focused. And then now for the rest of my life, you know, I have these three things that I'll continue to do and the, the positive the residual benefits for the future to me was just like, wow, what a great thing to do for such a short period of time to kind of jumpstart good habits, good behaviors, and just get results. You know, I mean, it, it kind of catapulted me down the road to, hey, now I'm seven pounds lighter. I'm going to go run longer and do more runs and, 
you know, kind of continue to dial in my diet. So yeah, that's kind of how it came about. Yeah. And, but now, and which is amazing. And now you're applying that sort of methodology to other things, obviously. Yeah. So like with my wife and I, the one that I think is the most powerful is that like, you know, like all married couples, you know, five to seven years, you know, we go through times where we argue and we have problems, but, uh, you know, like we did a two week sprint for our marriage and relationships. You know, we, we looked at like, Hey, we're going to go for a walk once a week. And that's one of the tasks for our sprint. And I think out of our sprint, you know, a couple of those have stuck and it's like, well, you know, what a great thing to have for the rest of our life that we kind of have this habit of going and doing something together. And then we did one for our uh, personal finances where we kind of just took two weeks and examined everything and cut out a bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, it saved us like, I think it was like over 250 bucks a month and just stuff that we had kind of forgot about or that we were getting, you know, automatically billed for that we didn't really need anymore. So yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a game changer. And why do you think the two weeks work so well as a number, uh, you know, as a, as a period? I just think because it's not impossible and it's not forever. Like one of my friends, I was telling him about it and he was like, man, I can do anything for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought about that. And then I thought about like the army, like all, a lot of major transformations, like high school sports camps, um, army basic training, like some of the biggest transformation happens in this first two weeks where it's just focused, you know, focused on, you know, whatever it may be. Cause I remember cross country camp in high school, I showed up and I hadn't run all summer and I went from, you know, having a really slow 5k time to shaving minutes off in two weeks. But it was, you know, for two weeks we focused on running and that's kind of like the normal thing. And I was amazed that we always try these like 30 day, I'm going to eat clean for 30 days or I'm going to eat this for 60 or 90 days, or it's a six month program. And sometimes I think people shy away from that because it's just so far out there and so such a big task or so impossible, the reality of completing that successfully. Hey, I mean, I, I think that the, you, you said that Ranger school was eight weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing that that, that seems really short to me to train up oh, a really? Ranger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, but I mean, you know, if what you can do in two weeks, I mean, you could, if you obviously multiply that out and, and break it up that way, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I mean, it, it goes back to that whole, like, eating an elephant. And I think people try to change everything in one fail swoop. And it's, it's kind of like, well, the likelihood that you'll be successful, you know, waking up tomorrow and you're just gonna, you know, have a perfect diet forever is right. Is like rare, you know, and then also people, people get caught up in, you know, by day four of a 30 day cleanse or something, if they've kind of dropped the ball, I think they get frustrated and just throw it out. Whereas like with what I did, I was like, man, you know, one of the things I had planned to do was I was going to do 30 minute cardio sessions after work. And what I found out was that that just doesn't suit my lifestyle. Like after I get done with my day at work, I'm going home. I'm not going to go to the gym. Even if I pack my gym clothes and I'm prepared to go do cardio for 30 plus minutes, I'm not, I'm just not going to do it because, you know, my lifestyle doesn't fit that type of program. And that's another thing. I think everybody tries to fit into this one size fits all solution when the reality is like, you're going to have to kind of create your own solution that fits your unique situation. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, all right, so now I want to shift gears a little bit too, because one of the things that I'm so excited about is that in this October, uh, uh, through American Dream University, which we should tell people a little bit about, I mentioned it before, but this amazing organization that brings in entrepreneurs and speakers to talk to soldiers who are transitioning out of the army and into the workforce. And um, it, it's it, there's some really great weekend plans, basically, that they create for us. And several members of my Less Doing Mastermind are actually going to be going down to Fort Bragg in October. And Trevor, you put together a pretty cool program for us. So uh, the, the, the general idea is that we you, you get to experience a day with the soldiers and see what sort of life is like as a soldier. And then the next day we speak to the, all of the soldiers about, you know, creating a business or, or jobs or whatever it might be to help them in that transition. And I, I met Trevor when I spoke to the soldiers at Fort Benning in Georgia, but this one coming up, what, what do you, what do you have planned for us? Uh, so I think what you're going to experience is a, uh, kind of a day in the life starting from the absolute bare minimum basic training. Like you're just coming in. Uh, I talked with some of the people that will be handling that'll, you know, be helping me as well. And they, uh, the consensus is that we want to let you see like the absolute day one in the army for about half a day and then transition into more of, if you were in ranger school, this would be, you know, one, thousandth of a you know an experience there and this is yeah, right. kind of what what it would look like and kind of you know be completely immersed but at the same time we're gonna we're gonna stop and say hey you know this is why this is done this way you know like so i think one of the experiences we were throwing around to uh have for you guys was the like basic training getting off the bus experience and then have the dr the drill sergeants do it full you know, full tilt, no holding back. And then in the middle of it, stop and then explain why this is done this way or, you know, what's the utility in it and kind of, you know, Hey, at this point they, they've been through this, this, and this, and now they're going into this and then move on and continue as well. But uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be immersive. And then, you know, later in the day, we want to get to more of the, uh, the stuff that, you know, people think of when they watch movies or, you know, the, the actual <laughs> stuff that, you know, is kind of sexy. So, and let, like, we have a lot of guys that are from, you know, Ranger units that can kind of open that world up and explain like, you know, that. And I think even on the intellectual side, we're going to throw in some stuff that is a uh, metacognitive, like obstacle type of stuff. And then also like a condensed planning, you know, like something where you are given a condensed, uh, timeline and you're going to have to execute in one hour. Here's what you know, you know, go execute. Let's see what you can pull off. So, cause that's a lot of times in the military, what happens is you end up, you know, having to make do with what you have and still achieve the mission. Yeah. So. I mean, and, and that's just got me so excited. I can't wait for, for our group to experience it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's exciting because when I tell people, you know, these guys are successful entrepreneurs and they want to come help vets, you know, but we got to give them an experience that when they step in front of the vets and talk about, you know, what they do, that they kind of know where these guys are coming from and kind of really like bridge that gap, you know, like an understanding so that, uh, I mean, I remember your speech from Fort Benning and that was awesome, you know, like, so it's definitely beneficial to kind of like bridge the gap. Well, you know, for me, it's, it's, it, it, I'm very big on people sort of getting out of their own heads and getting out of their own way. And 
experiencing a different sort of style of life and, and what it can be like. So that's obviously a huge opportunity. Plus, yeah. you, as you just mentioned, you get to learn sort of how when you're given limited time, limited resources, and you have to get it done, and there's not really an other option, like this is what you do. Uh, but then, I mean, I have to yeah. say, honestly, speaking to the soldiers was one of the, the highlights of my life. And it was just such a wonderful experience um, to be able to help that way. I, I, as I said in the speech that I gave, I had really wanted to be in the military. And uh, it, it, for a number of reasons, it didn't work out. And the fact that I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease would have meant that I probably wouldn't end up on a desk job anyway. So uh, I, anything that I can sort of do to, to help support and be involved, I want to. So it's, it's it's great. And thank you, you know, for helping organize this, of course. Yeah. And we, we really appreciate it. I mean, the perspective that you guys bring from what I've seen with American Dream U is just so powerful because, you know, vets are good. We're good at what we do, but we don't realize what all, I think we lack knowing what all is possible. And when you guys come in and you're like, Hey, I did this, this, and this, and I'm, you know, and I'm Ari and there's all the things I've done, how I've done it. It's, it like inspires. I know I draw inspiration like, holy man, I could write a book or holy man, I could do that. So, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, uh, so Trevor, the, the last question that I always like to ask in the interviews is uh, what is your, t- your top three pieces of advice or what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? So I think, I think without a doubt, you know, you have to know why you have to have that life's mission statement or that true purpose. I mean, that thing that really, makes you tick. I mean, that to me, above all else is the most important. Um, and figuring that out, I think is like step one. And then after that, everything else in your life, I think becomes clear on whether it's a priority or whether it's not. And does it support achievement of that life's mission statement or that, uh, true purpose or your why? I think after that, uh, I think if you want to be effective, you need to be a leader. And I think I kind of look at leadership, you know, there's a lot of quotes, there's a lot of stuff out there about leadership, but, you know, I look at leadership, me personally, and like, it's, it's all about teams. You're either building teams around a problem or a mission, or you're leading a team or you're working on a team. So I would say if you can be able to do those three things very well, you'll be effective in almost anything you do, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you're, you know, leading a company. You know, like in the military, we, you know, you have five, it's like five to seven people is your span of control. So to me, that's a team. So anything I do, I'm looking at like, how can I build the right team with the right people and the right skills around this? And if I'm leading that team, how can I be a great servant leader to them? Um, And then if I'm on the team, it's how can I add the most value? The third thing I think is just growth. Like you have to, you have to always grow and having that growth mindset is absolutely critical. And then you just have to constantly be developing yourself to be that best version of you. You know, I mean, you could break that into a thousand different things you do to grow um, and take care of yourself, you know, your mind, your body and your spirit. So those are great. I think those are really great. So Trevor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you at the, in October. Thanks, sorry. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, 
see the show notes for this episode and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we'd love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.